Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Worth It podcast. Our leadership gurus, Ryan Dyer and Andy Dorsey, will talk about their tips for maximizing leadership potential, faith, and family, all while raising awareness and funds for children with hearing impairments. Get ready to get focused. Welcome back to another Worth It podcast. Uh, my name is Andy Dorsey, along with Ryan Dyer, and we'll be your host for today's show. And, uh, you know, one big thing that uh, as we do this, we always like to mention, um, you know, why we do this. And, and one of the main reasons is for um, children with hearing impairments. And, you know, and we just really felt led to to try to donate some much needed money um, for an area that really doesn't get a whole lot of awareness and a lot of support. So um, every penny of your money that gets supported um, through this podcast um, goes straight to uh, the University of Virginia Medical Center um, with the uh, Children's Department through the Hearing Impaired. So it is a worthwhile cause. We have a goal to reach, which is $10,000. Um, in a calendar year. And if you would like to donate, that website is tinyurl backslash worthitpodcast.com. Again, tinyurl backslash worthitpodcast.com. And one other thing that we are doing um, to try to reach this goal is, is we've decided to host a golf tournament at Creekside Golf and Country Club. Uh, in Hiram, Georgia, and I think we mentioned that on the last podcast, but we've actually got a date secured, which is going to be Friday, June 17th, Um, so we're really looking forward to start planning for that, and again, 100% of those proceeds um, for that golf tournament will be going uh, directly to uh, helping children with hearing impairments. The cost of that, um, if you're a single golfer and you want to come out and we can build you a team, would be $100, um, if you're a foursome and have three other people that would like to come with you, then the cost of that is $400. Um, and then we ask if you would like to participate in that, then email uh, Coach Dyer at Coach Dyer, which is D-Y-E-R at, at gmail.com. Again, Coach Dyer at gmail.com. And you may be thinking, hey, I'm, I'm not a golfer. I don't, um, you know, that's not my thing, but we could always use, we could use whole sponsors. Uh, you can come out and help set up and take down. So if it's something that you feel led to do, then we would love to have you join us uh, on June 17th. Uh, thanks, Andy. That's huge. And, I, and we already have nine foursomes signed up for the for the golf tournament. So we're, we're really excited and we're ready to roll uh, with that. And we're looking forward to everybody's help. Thanks for helping us uh, reach our dreams here. Today, we got Brian Marcos on the show, who is a jam up leader here in the community out of Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, he's a deputy fire chief there in Smyrna, been with the fire department 13 years. He, he's a lead instructor for Metro Atlanta Firefighters Conference since 2014. We could go on and on about his certifications. Um, but the biggest thing about him is he's a great leader. Of course, he's going to come in during adversity and do some awesome things, but he's a great leader. Um, the, he also finished up Cobb leadership program with a good friend of ours, Andrew, and we're going to dive into some situations today uh, with Brian that, that involves some adversity, both in the terms of leadership and on the job. So Brian, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, happy to be with you guys. And, uh, you know, before we kind of jump in, tell us a little bit about your background, your family, and the current position you hold. Yeah, sure. So I have kind of an interesting background. I've, uh, I was born in California. My mother 
and my father, my father is from Spain, my mother's from Colombia, and, and we moved uh, to, to Los Angeles where I was born. I was raised there to about six or seven. Um, then my mother remarried, made her way to, to, to Georgia with my stepfather, and um, pretty much was raised in Cobb County from there. Um, and so, you know, just kind of an interesting background when you think about you know, what Christmas and Thanksgiving look like. So you don't know if you were getting black beans and pork or if you're going to get turkey because my, my stepfather's from Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> so you just, you never knew what you were going to get, but it was a, it was a great uh, upbringing. I had some loving parents, um, had the opportunity to grow up uh, right there off of Powder Springs, Austell area and went to school at Cumberland Christian Academy, uh, graduated from there, played athletics most of my, uh, my young life, adult life. And um, just, just had a great time doing that and, um, ended up going to, uh, to college for a little bit on a basketball scholarship. Wasn't fast enough. So that was a short lived experience for me. Um, but the whole time that I was, uh, actually playing uh, basketball in high school, I had, I had some really good folks that were around me that were in the fire service industry. And I really never paid attention to it. Just didn't know. Uh, what they did, I just knew they were good people um, and they poured into me. And so just kind of uh, through just time, kind of figuring out what I was doing and, and starting a young family when I was about 20 years old, I met my wife, um, didn't go back to college, uh, met my wife and just kind of starting that whole process of, hey, I got to take care of a family. I need to start thinking about what I'm going to do. And uh, these people that had just been in my life for a long time, um, knowing what profession they were in just kind of naturally drew me to being curious to, to the fire service. And if you play team sports, um, the fire service is very much like a team sport. Everything you do, you do, you know, in teams. And uh, there is a competitive element there. And um, so it was a great fit. Uh, got on when I was 21 years old um, and just have had an outstanding career. And what I mean by that is that it's just, it's just really blessed my life. I've really enjoyed being able to serve and um, just be around good people. I mean, when you're, you know, it's that whole iron sharpens iron. When you're around good people, good things happen. And uh, the fire service has done that for me. I've got three kids. Uh, my oldest is uh, 16, Bryson. Uh, my daughter uh, is Kyla. She's 15. And my youngest is 11. So my parenting skills and my, my, my parenting game is on right now. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out like no one's business. I've, there's so many transitions in parenting that it might be the hardest thing out there to do. Uh, but I got great kids, um, and, uh, just love them to death. And my wife and I've been married for 18 years. Uh, she's just a huge support. Um, and she's doing some really good things right now as well. She's, she's back out there doing, uh, some stuff. Um, and so just really proud of her as well, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I what I my, my life in a real quick snapshot. But in terms of the fire service, uh, I serve as the deputy fire chief and deputy EMA director. So the easiest way I know how to explain it, uh, kind of principal vice principal, right? So I'll throw it back in y'all's industry, y'all's world. It's it's like the vice principal. Um, I handle the day to day operations for five divisions. Uh, make sure that the wheels are are spinning and that we're heading in the right direction. Um, my, my job there is just to make sure that we're aligned as an organization and that we're, we're meeting our objectives. Um, but again, got a great team, got a great command staff that makes things happen and makes my job easy. So really, really blessed 
city's growing, city smart is growing. So we got a lot of unique challenges, a lot of things we're working through. As you guys know, over the last couple of years, it's been unique and difficult, but it's been exciting uh, to, to hit those challenges head on. Yeah, and I'm gonna jump yeah, off gonna for jump just a off. second. But so you talked about that's one of the things. How has how has the pandemic affected your line of work? You know, it's obviously affected everybody's line of work, but um, that's something that you know you guys run towards danger. You know, and 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 uh, with the pandemic, we're trying to stay away from each other and trying to do that. But you guys are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How, how has this pandemic impacted your line of work? It's definitely made us reevaluate some things that that are kind of our core services, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, our ability to respond to emergency services can't go away. And so we had to kind of innovate and be creative about how we did that in a safe manner and protected our workforce, but still were able to execute and deliver the services that are expected of us. Um, in the fire service, you know, we don't have the luxury of, of saying, man, that's scary, or, oh, man, that's, uh, that seems like that could cause us uh, to get sick, or there might be an injury. We really have to evaluate the risk and then make some decisions to, to say, okay, how do we still get this done? So I would say that it got us to get laser-focused on what it is that's essential, uh, especially when the pandemic was early. Um, we had to gain control of communication early, there was so much coming out there that we had to say, if we want our staff to, to execute, then we're gonna have to be very, very good at informing them good information so that they can do their job with confidence. So we had to really, really grab hold of the, the information and then we had to make sure that we up, the up-tempo of our communication uh, needed to take place. We couldn't stick to the regular routine communication. We had to kind of uptick that a little bit that way, the, the, the front line, the supervisors all were aware that, hey, we're, we're giving you information as soon as we receive it. Um, obviously, virtual became a new thing for us. We were, and that actually made it, you know, that's something that we're going to continue to keep. We, we were able to connect with people a lot quicker, more readily available, and we could still keep people in service and keep people at a safe distance. So I'd say those were the things that we were really focusing in on. Um, and I'll tell you too, I think that the public safety and the, the fire service really had a great opportunity to show the, the value that it brings, you know, beyond just regular emergency 911. We, I know in the city of Smyrna, we really dealt with um, managing emer the emergency and the protocols around safety for all departments within our city. So it wasn't just a matter of the citizen, but it was also about the employees within city government that that the fire department was being counted on to be a resource and also to provide guidance and, and <clears throat> excuse me and advise uh, the leadership. So uh, again, it was a difficult time, but it was very much an opportunity for us to step up, and I think our people definitely have done that and are still doing that today. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that was, um, you know, very important. And, you know, and as of any industry, you know, obviously in education, you know, we had to take a step back and, and, and reevaluate how we do things. And, you know, when with any bad situation, I always say there's there's positive things that come out of it and, you know, way to be more efficient and build to take care of your people. So um, 
one thing is we, you know, I know you were, you were on the Cobb life list for 20 under 40. How that prestigious recognition make you feel? I think that they had a short list because COVID was going on. I don't think very many people applied. So I might have been one of the few that were under 40 still left. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but, um, you know, if I had to point towards one thing that I that I would say that, that I'm very proud of that maybe, maybe that received some recognition is, you know, we developed a program called the United Leadership Program. And this program was inspired by uh, the Leadership Cobb program in 2017 that I had the chance to go through. And what inspired it was, you know, in leadership, we try to do it all ourselves and a lot of times. And, and you know, I love what Andy Stanley says, you know, don't lead yourself by yourself. And what I think he means by that is that, you know, it sometimes is, is you got to leverage the influence and leverage the relationships that you have in order to get things done. And going through that program definitely opened my eyes to that. And so it inspired a program called the, the United Leadership. And what it is, is it's a, it's a program that involves four fire department agencies in Cobb County. So Smyrna, Marietta, Austell, and Cobb County. And it brings in members of those departments into one leadership development program. And we partnered with uh, business leaders and community leaders to come and speak into that group their leadership lessons and, and best practices from outside of the fire service industry. And then we brought in KSU to validate the learning through a certification called Excellence in Leadership. And that combination of outside leaders coming in and speaking and the validation of the certification, and not to mention, we also went to some very, very cool places like the Atlanta Braves, the Hank Aaron Suite, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Dobbins Air Force Base, Brassfield and Gorey. So it gives these, these um, participants the opportunity to see behind the curtain and see other industries that are doing leadership very, very well. And so that, that program was launched in, I think, 2018, 19. And we've had three cohorts so far and just the feedback we're getting and, and just the involvement from the community has just been outstanding. So if I had to point towards any reason why somebody might want to give, give them some recognition, it, it would probably be around that program. And I, I have to throw this caveat because I know I'll have several of my friends maybe listening in. They, there was so much involvement from the chiefs and the deputies and, and many members from other organizations like Cobb Marietta that definitely made this happen. It was certainly not one person. So, um, Andrew Cox actually is the one that connected me to a friend, Dan Stotts. We ate at a Mexican restaurant. He connected me to somebody. That person connected me to somebody else. And the next thing you know, we've got this great collaboration in this United Leadership Program. So it, it's all about those relationships. It's exactly what you guys are doing here. You know, you're connecting with, with community leaders and just having conversations. Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, also, Red, where you had two coaches um, in your life who has had a lasting impression on you. Tell us about these two coaches. Yeah, so, um, you know, I had a coach in high school, um, Coach Skelton. He, uh, he certainly poured a lot into my life um, as far as just he was principal, uh, his faith. Um, and it was there were so many lessons through basketball that, that I learned from him that were just tremendous. Um, and so, 
you know, he, he had a big impact on my life. And then there was another uh, person, uh, Mr. Oxendine. He was, uh, he was my math teacher. It was my worst subject. Couldn't stand it. Uh, but just at a young age, I'll never forget at a Bible study, um, he looked at me and he said, you know, God's got something special for you. And just the timing of when he said that and where I was in my life, um, it really just stuck with me. And, and in fact, it really has settled with me that that's such kids at a young age at middle school, even high school. I mean, the words we say to them mean so much and there's so much impact there. You just never know when something's going to catch. And so the responsibility that we have in talking to these kids and even coaches in general, anybody that has a, an influence over a child, uh, athletics seem to be the thing that to me is just a quick bridge to that. Um, I can't say it enough. It is so important that the, the coaches be aware that their, their body language, their attitude, the words they use, it just makes such an impact on some of these kids that they would never, ever know as it did me. Uh, that, that left a mark on me. And, and, you know, I've told him that since I've seen him, in, you know, as an adult, but, you know, he may have never known that. Um, but those two individuals definitely left a mark on my life. You know, thanks for sharing. We, uh, you know, and, and I, we do have a lot of coaches that listen into this and, you know, and so we, I was in a uh, coach's Bible study yesterday at lunch with Jay Cathy, who is our uh, Paulding County FCA representative. And, and, and that was kind of our talk topic is, you know, is why did we get into coaching? You know, why, why do we do what we do? And, and obviously at the level that we coach and our coaches coach at, um, it's definitely not for the money. So it, it is for those same reasons that hopefully we are going to be those same catalysts of people um, to impact these young people so that when they get our age or get into the business world or, or do life, that there's some meaningful effect besides just winning games. Um, so we, we definitely, I know Ryan and I both agree to that a bunch about just so much more to athletics, um, you know, uh, that, that we can get, get out of this. And uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And, and I would also encourage them to, sometimes we get, a, you know, fixed on the idea that this, this, leader or this athlete you know if they don't have any of those gifts maybe we don't give them as much attention or uh, you know spend as much time with them but similarly in the department I tell people all the time that you might be sitting next to somebody who does not have aspirations to be the fire chief or you know be a leader within the organization but they're going to be sitting next to the guy that they're going to influence that might be that guy so you know you never know who you're talking to that could be the bridge to, to, you know, sharing something positive to somebody who does have that aspiration, you know, that's important. And so just keep that in mind is there, and, and, and that's such a tough thing too. I'm, I'm feeling less connected to the young generation as I'm getting older. And so we have such a tool in athletics to stay connected to the young generation, right? Cause I can't, I want to be authentic with the kids, but I can't, you know, sit there and do a TikTok dance in front of them and feel like I know what I'm doing. You know, but but what I can do is I can talk basketball because I played it. And so sports kind of to me is a uh, it's universal in terms of generational, you know, issues. And so that's such a gift for coaches to be able to use that to stay connected uh, in the event they feel like, hey, I don't know how to talk to these kids. You know, absolutely. And I think, Brian, you've really hit on this a lot. I'm going to ask you a tough question. Uh, you mentioned leadership, Cobb. What would you say are your top 
one or two takeaways from that program? Um, I, I would say that that there's always something to learn from other people that may not look like you, act like you, or even be in the same industry that you're in. I, I, I just I found that there were so many, you know, beneficial lessons to learn from other people. Like, you know, I'm talking to, say, a CPA or somebody that's a project manager for a construction company. There was so much to learn from those individuals that I could take what they were doing successfully and transfer it over to what I do in the fire service. So that was definitely something I took away is, you know, if I had to encourage the audience or anybody that's thinking about leadership is to be very curious about things. I think curiosity is very good in terms of leveling up your leadership because there's always something you can draw from and pull away from, um, from other people. And then the other thing was, is just, I was, what I took away is I was proud of the resources that the county had. I was proud of the work that was being done because I didn't know. Um, and, and honestly, so I had a day, there's a program day called Social Services Day. And it really kind of punched me in the gut a little bit um, because it, they brought in people that actually kind of, you know, discussed what the incentives and, and what the disincentives are out there for people that are trying to, you know, say they decline a raise because they want this incentive that they're getting for childcare that one more dollar an hour would eliminate their childcare from, you know, from them being able to have the childcare. And for somebody who didn't know that or wasn't aware of that, that was like, wow, you know, why would I, you know, it, it's almost like the system was kind of working against itself a little bit for incentivizing people to want to grow and progress and stuff. And I, so it really enlightened me. So knowing those types of things and seeing those types of resources out there to educate us on some of those things was very, very powerful to me. Awesome. And I think I know how you're going to answer this question because uh, I've talked to several people who are who are close to you. But how would you describe your own leadership style? You you have a great job. I know you love it. But there's man, I can't imagine there's there's got to be stress and anxiety and and all those things. How, how would you describe your, your overall leadership style? Oh, man, <clears throat> it's interesting because in, in in my I'll say in my world. I think you have to be somewhat adaptable. So you have to, it's almost, I hate to use the word situational leadership, but, you know, because servant leadership and certainly those words are used a lot. And, um, and I think all that's a part of it. You have to have humility. You know, I think to be successful, people have to know that you care about what, you know, you care about them and you care about seeing them succeed. You know, you have to be self-aware and selfless. Um, but sometimes, you know, certain situations call for a more direct leader, you know, somebody that is going to grab hold of it and, and, and push it, you know, through. And other times it requires a leader to say, hey, I need to I need to step back and I need to let somebody else have an opportunity. So I'd like to say that that I recognize those situations. Um, but I guess if I had to put something on it, I'd like to say that, you know, I want to be in service to whatever the mission is that we're trying to accomplish. So whatever is asked of me as a leader, I'd like to say that I know that I can step into that, that role. I think that was a terrible answer, but that's the best I can give you. <laughs> oh, I think so many people, you know, like that would go through and talk about you would say that you're, you're good in different situations and situational leadership, something I've never, never thought about at a great, a great deal, but 
the answer I got from somebody who's real close to you, and I won't say their name, is he adapts to every situation with a different skill and mindset. And to me, that's a, one of the greatest compliments you can get is that you treat people differently based on what they need and when you meet them where they are. That's that's awesome. That's good. So obviously in your line of work, you know, a lot, most people run away from danger. Um, you have to run towards danger. And obviously with that, you got to overcome a lot of adversity, um, you know, and I know there's just a lot of things that, that, that you have to go through throughout your career in your specific line of work. But most importantly, how do you manage the stress of that? Obviously, the, the stresses at home, uh, the stresses of walking in, um, you know, because I'm assuming every single day that you walk into the office, you really, you don't know what the day is going to entail for you guys. Um, so how do you manage that stress day in and day out? Well, um, it's a great question because it's taken me some time to get to this answer. So I don't want people, you know, listening in to think that, you know, I landed on this answer that day one, because I certainly did. I was getting it wrong pretty bad when I first came into the position that I'm in. Um, and it's interesting because I think depending on where you're at, you'll it's a different set of skill sets going to be required of you to manage the stress. Um, for me, um, obviously, just foundationally, I think your faith, uh, my faith is, is key um, in terms of being able to know that, you know, God is in control um, and that there are some things that are absolutely out of my control. I think family is key um, in terms of just making sure that your relationships with those that are closest to you, that they, you, you try to make sure that you're always kind of checking in, you're doing kind of a temp check on those, making sure those are where they need to be. Um, and that's always, that's always a difficult thing because the work-life balance thing, I don't, I don't know that that entirely exists. I think, you know, you have to, they're integrated, right? They're kind of all meshed in there, integrated into one thing. Anybody who loves what they do um, takes it personally, right? That's a personal thing. You're sacrificing your time, you're giving your time, your blood, sweat, toil, and tears. And I think you do that for both family and, and professionally for some. But for me, I focused in early, professionally speaking, I focused in early on processes for myself. Um, I knew for me, because I'm a results-oriented kind of person, um, that if I was going to be able to manage all the things that were coming in, that I could predict that were coming in. And, and when you think about time management and everything, I had to make sure I had good processes in place and that I had the right people in the right place. And that really reduced a lot of the stress. Um, and if you have a place to put things in terms of what's coming in at you, um, it frees your mind up a little bit to address things as, as they are. And if you have some space, I always like to say, you know, you need to leave that urgent box. You know, everybody's seen that matrix like urgent and important, important, not urgent. That urgent box needs to stay as empty as possible in your life, because when things do happen, you need to be able to have the space to address them. You know, whether that's personally with family or professionally, say your boss or somebody comes at you and has an urgent request, you need to be able to have the space to address those things but you shouldn't be having urgent issues in your life 24 seven. If that's happening, then you have a, you have a management issue of, of activities and, and things that you're involved in. So I would say for me, I manage it through processes and, and really focusing in on where am I spending my time? Um, who am I spending my time with? 
and, and just kind of divide things up that way and try to clear out as much space as I can in that urgent category for myself so that, so that when it does come up, I can give it its full attention and, and energy and have clear head about how I address it. And that's so good. I think uh, you talked about work-life balance. It's, it's a really hard word. We talk about this a lot. If you love what you do, it's, it's more work-life integration and your family and all those things. That's, that's really good. You've said some, some awesome things today. Um, our last question is something I read and Andy and I kind of looked at, and I'm going to read a quote that you, uh, that you made. It said, the quality of our fire service professionals and the support of our business community gives us the edge to take on our most difficult challenges and succeed. There's a word I love in this quote, and that word is edge. And you kind of hit on it with the processes, but I think all our listeners are higher achievers and are looking for different routines and, and how to get that edge. I'm going to use that more. Uh, I really love that word that you mentioned in this quote. How do you get better every day? How does your organization get better? What are kind of some things that you do personally to say, hey, look, I'm going to get better and I'm going to make this our organizational strategy where we're all going to get better? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I think it all starts with people, right? So the people to me are, are really, you know, a big, big part of creating that edge that it, regardless of your business, if you are hiring good talent and you're cultivating a culture that, that not only protects constructive feedback, that's another thing is if you can look at yourself and you can be honest amongst your team and say, hey, this isn't working or we need to, we need to stop doing this or we need to create a new process for this. And you can have those, those candid conversations and protect that and still walk away with everyone still aligned, I think you level up every day. Um, yeah. Yeah, so just mentioning that I think the, the key to, to leveling up as an organization and, and obviously the people in your processes, but you definitely need to make sure that we're stopping and we're, we're saying, hey, look, we just, we just had a success or we just accomplished something that, that we set out to do. So that's a very important thing because I will say that in, in, in government, in probably any industry, it's an endless work, right? It's an endless work. And I think that that has to be always reminded of people is to say, hey, look, don't, don't get overwhelmed, don't get stressed out because it never feels like it's ever going to be finished. But you can certainly set out some incremental wins as you're moving through that. And I think that that's helpful for people to stay motivated and stay excited. And I'm going to ask you a bonus question. I said I was done. I'm not, man. I'm too excited. Yeah. How do you, how do you celebrate those wins in your, in your culture? Well, for us, um, you know, we have things that, that are more common, like the Golden Axe Award. Um, so we have something called the Golden Axe Award that, that we issue out on a quarterly basis. And it really is given not necessarily to, you know, emergency service activities where, you know, somebody, you know, does something on the scene. It's really more connected to the values of the organization and it's peer nominated. So the peers are the ones that actually make the submissions. And then we recognize that individual as a Golden Axe recipient. So that's that's one way. But honestly, it could be simple as writing a, a handwritten letter saying thank you for uh, what you do. And, and I'll, I'll give you one really cool example that I learned. And this is a part of processes. 
I told you guys I was results oriented. So I had to build a process in, in my world in order to recognize people the way that I wanted to. And some might say, well, that doesn't seem very genuine. And I'm like, it absolutely is. It's no different than me blocking out some time to spend on my calendar with my wife. People were like, you got to block time out on your calendar to spend time with your wife. I'm like, yeah, because I don't want anybody attacking that time. That time is for her. So for me, uh, one thing we did in our operations meetings is I asked the command staff, I said, every time you guys come into an ops meeting, I'd like for you guys to do a scouting report. I'd like to know something that somebody did in the organization that either aligned with our values or that was above par. And I just want to know their name and I want to know what it is. And so they come in and they tell me this really brief snippet of who it is and what they do. And what I'll try to do is I'll try to write a handwritten letter and send it to their address at home. I won't send it in her office. I won't put it in the, in the mailer because it's more personal coming to their home address, receiving the note. Um, and, and just to add this on, I think one thing that's very important is the higher up you go in the organization, the more insulated you can be sometimes from your people. And if they're a high performer and you go around shaking hands and you say, thank you for being with the department, thank you for being with the organization, that almost comes off disingenuous, even if you really mean it in your heart. So when you can look at a high performer and you can say, hey, John, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you at seven o'clock on Thursday, you were out in the bay cleaning the bay floors. And this is your first year as a recruit. Man, you are, you are modeling a great example out here for these young guys. And I just want to tell you, I appreciate what you're doing. That's a whole lot different conversation than if I were to say, hey, John, thanks for being with the Smyrna Fire Department. We appreciate you and walk away from it. That's not a quality interaction. But that personalizing those comments, even though I have a process for somebody making me aware of it, it tethers me closer to that employee than if I were to just shake hands and tell them thank you for what they do. So. I think really it's incumbent upon the leaders to really find ways to connect with the front lines to the best of their ability, especially over the last two years. One thing I would encourage all the leaders that are listening on the call to is you have to share the risk. You have to share in the risk and whatever your staff or your employees are doing out there, they have to see you. They have to see that you're, you're visible and available and, and that you're sharing the same risk that they are because that will certainly build your credibility and a reputation with your team that you can be counted on when, when, when is needed. That's so good. You, you we're going to, we're going to get it back on Andy eventually, because this has been a, this has been a treat. So uh, man, I'm excited. And Andy, you got anything to add to all this? Yeah, just for me with closing, uh, Brian, it's been so wonderful to listen to you. And um, I, I know for me personally, you've made my cup full today and, and I appreciate it. I've learned a lot from you. And um, I learned at a young age, and, and I, I'm just very, you know, just passionate about this. And I've tried to live my life this way. But I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for what you do. Um, you know, I just, you put your life out on the line for strangers. And, and you don't get the recognition that you deserve. And I think that goes for all first responders, all everybody in public safety, um, whether it's our military or anybody. And, and, and just know that, that we love you and we support you. And, um, and I just, you know, just want to personally thank you for what you do um, for our communities. Well, I, I thank you very much. And, and I'm, I'm very, very honored to be on this. I think what you guys are doing is just outstanding. And I, I just love the fact that you got two schools here 
two leaders with two different schools working together to do something that's very important. And that's what we need. We need to do more of these types of things. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on. And this has been awesome. Can't thank you enough. And, and everybody who listened, we, we really appreciate it. And we want to ask you again, if it's in your heart to go to a worth it podcast, excuse me, tinyurl slash worth it podcast.com to donate Texas, email us. We'll figure it out. We'll get you involved. And uh, thank you again, Brian, for being on here. It means the world. And we hope everybody goes out and has a great afternoon. Thank you.